appreciate you being here this morning. Labor Day weekend is one of those weekends where it's kind of like the last long weekend of summer and people are camping or traveling or doing what they are doing. Uh, but I am appreciative of you taking time out of your schedule to be with us here at Shade Tree. So we're starting a new series today, and the new series is called Exploring Wider. And we want to talk about some of the questions that enlarge us. So we spent 14 weeks talking about various stories in the Bible. And it's my premise that stories inform us about different things. So when we, when we hear a story, we have an opportunity to get insight or wisdom of some sort. Now when we ask questions, usually when we ask questions, we are curious about something that we would like an answer to. Questions, we have them all the time, but what do we do with them? Sometimes questions are such that they are either confusing or some questions that people would like to ask feel they do not have the permission to ask them. I think we have all seen at various times in life that there are sometimes questions that people have about life and they don't feel the freedom to ask the questions that they need to ask. Maybe they do that out of fear. And maybe that's what caused a lot of people to run from questions. I find that there's various type of people in this world, there are those that want to run from questions because they have uncertainties. There are people that flirt with questions only for a little while, but they don't want to do a deep dive to try to get a better understanding about something. And then there are those that engage in questions. They are individuals that take a question seriously. They are going to try to learn. They're going to try to enlarge their understanding about a particular topic. And they begin to expand their knowledge base because they take a question seriously. They're not afraid to where that question might take them. And as they begin to wrestle with those things, one of the things that they find is that their perspective, maybe their soul or their heart enlarges in the process as well. So through the end of October, we're going to explore some parts of the human psyche that uh, will give to us things to think about. Now, when a question is asked, there is no guarantee that you can answer that question with absolute certainty. Because if you ask a question after the previous question, you'll find that there's another road to explore. And sometimes question after question leads people into a place of frustration, or at least they go, no, I want to have certainty about something. I want to be able to have a complete system of thought where everything fits together. And to that, I say good luck. Because there is no system of thought, whether it's in psychology or theology, that is completely devoid of gaps in them, okay? So as long as we can understand that we engage in questions with an element of faith, to be able to enlarge our spirit, to enlarge our mind, then we don't go into it looking for certainty, because the minute that you have certainty, you will stop learning. And that's 
a lot of the problem in the world in which we live in. People don't want to ask any more questions. And consequently, they stop learning. And then they deceive themselves into thinking that they got it all nailed down, right? Have you met people like that? They've got it all figured out. They got it all nailed down. And I think questions forces us outside the boxes that we feel most comfortable with. It forces us to look at something from another angle. And when somebody does that, many times they are accused by those that are fearful of asking questions as being someone that is crazy or someone that's a heretic. Or but some of the greatest discoveries in human history have come from someone who looked at a subject from a different angle. And so don't be surprised over the next eight weeks as to the way we'll look at some different questions. I ran across this quote from Steve Chalk. Steve is the pastor of the Oasis Church in London. And I quote, he says, perhaps it's because I'm honest about the questions I have about life and faith that I get into loads of conversations with other people who tell me about theirs and what a huge relief it is to be able to talk about it. Why is church such a tough place for people to be honest in? That's a great question, isn't it? Why is church such a tough place for people to be honest in? And I think the simple answer to that is because of fear. People don't ask questions because of fear, and then they're afraid of answers or at least insights into those questions because they're afraid that the answer to that question is going to actually necessitate that person to enlarge their mind or enlarge their heart. We're going to try to take questions seriously. Doesn't mean we will have foolproof answers at all. Because all of us sit at the edge of knowledge. What we know today is only a prelude to what we will know tomorrow. We will continue to learn. I don't care if it's the medical field. I don't care if it's the scientific field. I don't care if it is the psychological field or the theological field. There's always something more to learn. We're always at the edge of knowledge. And there are more things that are being discovered. And it is that possibility of discovery that gives to us the element of surprise and at times great joy. There is more we don't know than we do. Let me say that again. There is more we don't know than we do. The limits of the world we understand have moved further and further beyond what was understood a hundred years ago or two hundred years ago or a thousand years ago. And what we find is civilization continues to advance and the things that we discover, the new knowledge that we obtain can be either used for good or bad. How many of you have seen the Oppenheimer movie? Has anybody in here seen the Oppenheimer movie? I would like to see it. It's like three hours long. It's lengthy. But it is, uh, it is talking about Oppenheimer, the name of the individual that discovered, discovered the ability to use atomic power and thus the atomic bomb. And so what you have with that is all kinds of potential, right? But also all kinds of dangers as well. So if we misuse knowledge, it can lead to a potential disaster. 
But if we can use knowledge for better rather than worse, it can make life better. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the question from infinity and beyond. Okay, that's a takeoff of Buzz Lightyear. Which he says to infinity and beyond, right? I want to talk a little bit about from infinity and beyond. Now, there's no way to adequately illustrate this, but we did not put this string up here today to hang Corey, okay? Rather, or me either, um, this string is to represent the idea of infinity. The psalmist tells us, from everlasting to everlasting, God, you are God. In other words, as far as we can look back, and as far as we can think ahead, God is there. Now we'll come back to that in a moment. Since we can't do this from here to infinity, and from here to infinity, let's just imagine for a moment that this represents infinity. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now, when we think about all the amount of time, and we'll come back to that in a moment too, that we think in terms of time. We think in terms of this was millions of years ago and million years from now. It is absolutely mind-boggling for us to be able to think beyond the way we view our life. From headstone birth to headstone death. We kind of think in terms of time. And yet at the same time, what we understand is outside the frame of our own life is this vast space, and that vast amount of space is something that has gone on for a long, long time. And the more we investigate it, like physicist Richard Feynman says, he says, the universe is like a cosmic onion. We keep peeling layers of knowledge the longer we live. Okay? So what we want to do, just for the next few moments, is ask the question, how did it all begin? Now, the disadvantage for all of us is we weren't there. So everything, I don't care whether you're looking at it scientifically or theologically, it's all speculation, right? Okay, it's all speculation. But I think we get some pretty good clues. And what we have found is over the past century, there have been unprecedented number of revisions in our view of the universe and how it originated. So we are talking a little bit about time for a moment. And usually we think in terms of time. The psalmist says in Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So that handout I gave you, I want you to take a quick look at it, okay? So this handout shows the components that you need to think about when you ask the question, how did it all begin? So you look down the left side of the column there. You see the word infinity. Then you see the word mystery. 
then you see the word cosmology, and then you see the word theology. So the first uh, category, infinity, time stretching all the way back, time stretching all the way forward. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now, we can't conceptualize that, and yet at the same time, we can understand a phrase like this. But how it interacts with infinity is quite interesting. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1. Okay? In the beginning of what? That's the question. In the beginning of what? So that's where the mystery comes in. Now what's interesting is not only does Genesis 1.1 say in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, but then in John 1.1 it begins the same way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Nothing has ever come about except what has come about through the word, which is interesting way that the Apostle John phrases this. So in the beginning, whatever that means, okay, hold on to that just for a minute, there's mystery involved in that. But when we come to cosmology, the common components in the Big Bang Theory is time, space, mass or matter, and energy. So let's kind of think through each of those just for a moment. And I've given to you some scripture references to think about in relationship to that as well. So time. When we think about time, we are thinking about something that is relative. Now, here's what I mean by that. Depending upon where we are, it is determining where, uh, where we are in a 24-hour cycle. So Dan and Emma, they are over in Germany right now for this week. Germany is six hours ahead of us, okay? So it's not morning over there in Germany, okay? It's afternoon. Here we are about 10.30 on a Sunday morning, but it's not mid-morning out on the west coast, is it? Okay? They're just starting to get up, the early risers out in California. So even there is an illustration that time is relative depending upon where you're at. So here you are in Willoughby, Ohio. It's a Sunday morning on Labor Day weekend. And after the service is over, we're going to go to lunch. However, in Germany, they're going to dinner. And out in California, they're getting up for breakfast. You see, time is relative depending upon where you are on the long spectrum of uh, this thing that we call life. So the only time we can measure is the time that is right here, right now, in our location. Now, if God, and when we talk about the question of God, that's our question for next week, who is God? Does God exist? Time exists infinitely. In other words, if God can be present on the East Coast, in the Midwest, and on the West Coast, all at the same time, 
And if this God can be present everywhere in the universe at the same time, there is no delay in time for God. He can see everything along the entire spectrum of what we would call time. Now that's mind-boggling, isn't it? Okay, so he can see everything at any particular time, what's going on. So the element of time is an important element to consider. That's the only way we can live is within time. But God is not constrained to that. So we think of infinity. From everlasting to everlasting you are God. Then we come to space. One day, the psalmist that wrote Psalm 8 walked out and looked up at the night sky. He saw a field of stars, and he came up with this statement. What is man that you consider him? In other words, the vast amount of space that is above What is man that you should even give a second thought to him? Now, he's only talking from a particular point in the the Holy Land, right? He's not even thinking about different continents around the world. He's stuck at a point, at a place, in a space, in time, and he looks up and he goes, what is man that you should consider him or give second thought to him? But that's where he's at. He's at a particular pinpoint place in space. Now, the geometry of the universe is quite interesting. Scientists are telling us that the universe is continuing to expand. And that as it expands, the space is continuing to get bigger. So, in other words it continues to grow exponentially. Now, we don't feel it, but now, here we are, we go out tonight, we look up at the stars, or we look up at the moon, and the sun, and what we are observing at that moment in time in our space is not the same as it is there. So, as you look at the sun, at the speed of light, how long does it take for the rays of the sun to actually get to our face, right? So it's not very long, really. But some of those stars that you're observing at night, they are light years away. So you are seeing the light from a star that maybe was from two years ago, five years ago, a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago. And it's finally hitting the surface of the earth. As space, we are stuck. But with the help of uh, the Hubble telescope, we have been able to begin to see what's beyond us in space. So this question, how did it all begin, I think is helped by understanding this. Lord, you have been our dwelling place through all generations. Before the mountains were born, and you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. In the beginning, God creates the heaven and the earth. In the beginning was the Word, and there, through Him, the Word, nothing was made that has been made. And now we see the Lord is the everlasting God, 
And when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, why do you consider man? Well, I think what we need is the help of people beyond our abilities to get, give to us a vision. So this particular video clip is asking the question, what was there before the Big Bang? I think it's helpful. Let's watch. It's interesting, this idea of the Big Bang created the universe. That's what Einstein's theory says. That's textbook cosmology, if you like. But the current textbook picture is there was a, a phase in the universe's life before the Big Bang, if you define the Big Bang as the hot, dense phase from which the universe appeared to sort of burst forth 13.8 billion years ago. And that phase is called inflation. So what we think happened is that before that, the universe was accelerating exponentially fast. It means it was doubling and doubling and doubling in size. And the numbers are ridiculous. We think that if you started with a universe that was smaller than a single atom, then it would be bigger by a long way than the whole observable universe, 350 billion galaxies in it, in less than a million, 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 millionths of a second. So very rapid exponentially fast expansion. And when that stopped, all the energy that was driving that expansion got dumped into space. It heated it up. It produced the particles of matter out of which we are made and all the things that we see out there in the sky. And that's what we see as the Big Bang. So that sounds fanciful, but that's standard cosmology at the moment. The big question then is, well, what started the inflation? What stops the inflation? How long did the inflation go on for? And the answer to that is, we're not sure. We don't know. In the beginning, there was an infinitely dense, tiny ball of matter, which started to expand and would eventually give rise to the atoms, molecules, stars and galaxies we see today. But what was there before the Big Bang? What was the state of the universe before, well, everything? The universe underwent a breathtaking cosmic expansion, doubling in size at least 80 times in the fraction of a second. This rapid inflation, fueled by a mysterious form of energy that permeated empty space itself, left the universe desolate and cold. And only after that did the hot, dense conditions of the Big Bang emerge. Some of those theories suggest that the inflation doesn't stop all at once. It stops in patches, and every time it stops you get a universe. And so some of these theories, they're called eternal inflation theories, suggest that there might not be just our universe, the bit that we can see, but there might be many universes, perhaps an infinite number of them, and they may be being produced all the time. So what to make of that? But that's where current modern cosmology is. If cosmic inflation correctly describes what happened before the Big Bang, it may push the ultimate answer to the question of where we came from beyond the reach of science. But that just pushes the question further, because we don't know anything about what came before inflation, and it's doubtful that we'll ever know. There are theories now that suggest, as I mentioned, that there may be more than one universe and potentially an infinite number. It's a mind-boggling idea, isn't it? And I should say one extra thing. If that's true, then some of those theories say that what we call the constants of nature, so things like the strength of gravity, the speed of light, the masses of the particles, can vary from universe to universe. And then you ask the question, well, why is our universe so perfect for life? 
Why do stars make carbon and oxygen the elements that you need for life? Why is everything so beautifully balanced so that living things can exist? The answer in these cases is because, well, every universe exists. Every possible combination of the laws of nature exists in different universes. So the reason we, obviously the reason we, we have to see a universe that allows us to exist, obviously, we could ask the question, well, how likely is that? Well, the answer, if there are an infinite number of them, is it's inevitable because there's every possible kind of universe. And I stress that this is very speculative stuff, but the first thing I said about inflation, the idea that there's this exponentially fast expansion before the Big Bang, if you want to use that language, that's not speculative. That's mainstream cosmology. But this idea that that may lead to multiple universes is more speculative, but it's still scientifically valid and there are people who do research into that. And again, this is an active area of research. Inflation tells us that the period of time before the Big Bang was extremely cold and it was empty of everything but empty space. And that empty space carried energy that stretched the universe out to this enormous size and into the initial state before the Big Bang. But there are also alternate theories to cosmological inflation which tell us what caused the initial conditions that would eventually give rise to the Big Bang. There's a theory there may be extra dimensions in the universe. So imagine that we, we're just living on a sheet of paper, let's say. Then there are theories where here's our universe floating around and there can be another universe floating around. So there are more spatial dimensions and we're just on a sheet floating around in this bigger multiverse. And then you can ask the question, well, what happens when they collide together? And one of the theories about what caused the Big Bang is that actually what it was, was two of these sheets, or brains they're called, that they collide together and separate. And when they collide together, they heat themselves up and you get something that looks like a Big Bang on that sheet of space and time, if you like. So that's another different theory for what happened before the Big Bang. Brains colliding into each other, giving rise to Big Bangs, multiverse theories, these statements might seem extremely speculative and out of touch with reality, but they do in fact have mathematical reasoning behind them. And moreover, theories describing the very early state of the universe do have experimental support. The wonderful thing is that we can, we're making measurements now. I should say the experimental basis for all this is something called the Cosmic Microwave Background Radiation, or the CMB. So we can look up into the sky and we can see the oldest light in the universe. It was released at 380,000 years after the Big Bang. It's when the universe cooled down sufficiently for atoms to form. And at that point, the universe became transparent and that light has been traveling through the universe ever since. And we have a satellite up at the moment called Planck. It's a European satellite that's been taking detailed pictures of this light. And in that light, it's like a baby picture of the universe, like a scan, a baby scan of the universe in, in a sense. And so you can look to the universe as it was in its very earliest days and see different structures and different properties of that light. And they give you the clue as to what happened right back at the beginning of time, the beginning of the universe. And that's where these theories are getting their experimental support. The twin pillars of modern physics are Einstein's general relativity and quantum theory. To understand how the Big Bang emerged and what came before it, it is essential to unite Einstein's theory with quantum theory. Only if we obtain such a theory will we be able to answer the ultimate questions in cosmology like what is space, what is time, what is the universe, and where did it come from? The most distant objects in the universe are 47 billion light years away, making the size of the observable universe 94 billion light years across. 
If you are wondering how can the observable universe be larger than the time it takes light to travel over the age of the universe, the answer is because the universe has been expanding during this time, and this causes very distant objects to be further away from us than their light travel time. Most scientists think the entirety of the universe extends way beyond the observable universe, but is there anything beyond the entirety of the universe? Is there anything beyond the universe? Probably not. We suspect quite strongly that our universe could well be infinite in extent, even our bit of the universe. If we just take our universe, it certainly, we're sure, it exists far beyond the bit we can see. So why would I say that? Well, if you think about it, the universe, is, our bit at least, has been around for 13.8 billion years. That means that light has only had 13.8 billion years to travel from the bit that we can see to our eye. So we can only see as far as light has had time to travel. But we think there's a lot beyond that because of measurements we've made of how the universe is curved and what the structure of the universe is. So it undoubtedly extends beyond the little bubble that we can see. How far it extends, it's another great question. We don't know, but it could be infinite in extent. Taking into consideration the latest discoveries and measurements in physics, we have attempted to answer the questions. What was there before the Big Bang? How big is our observable universe and what lies beyond the bit we can see? But are we forgetting something? An important question that naturally arises after we question the beginning of everything. How will the universe end? Well, the current best guess uh, or best estimate is that it will carry on expanding forever. And the reason I say that is because actually the universe is accelerating in its expansion, which is a great mystery because before that discovery, we thought, well, gravity is always attractive. And so it should be, you know, we've got all these galaxies in the universe and the universe has been expanding since the Big Bang. And so it should at least be slowing down. And there was even a question as, is there enough matter in it to slow it down so much that it stops and recollapses again? But this new discovery that the universe is accelerating in its expansion suggests that it will continue to accelerate unless some new physics appears that we don't understand, and so it will just continue to expand forever. Thanks for watching. Did you like this video? Then show your support by subscribing, ringing the bell, and enabling notifications to never miss videos like this. So, that video has topics that are way above our head, right? But what it does do is it gives to us an understanding that as we look at space, it just keeps going on. Then we look at matter or mass, and then we ask the question, if scientists believe that everything began from a particular point. What is that particular point? And that's where I think theology starts to come in, that there is a God that causes this initial Big Bang that allows the universe to develop. In the beginning, God. Well, in the beginning of what? If God goes back forever and goes on forever, well, at a particular time when the universe comes into being, there's an energy source that begins to develop this universe that contains billions and billions of stars. Now, also in that particular 
video, he talks about inflation. We all think of it in economic terms, right? You have to think of it also in terms of cosmological terms. I want you to take that balloon that I uh, handed out, and I want you to notice there's some dots on it. Do you see? I put some dots on the balloon. And here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to blow that balloon up, and I want you to tie it, okay? You can blow it up as big or as small as you want to, all right? So let's take the balloon and let's blow it up. So if the dots represent planets or stars, notice what happens as it continues to uh, expand. The balloon expands. What happens to the planets and the stars? They get farther apart, right? So go ahead and if you tie the balloon, all right? Now this is the hardest part for me, this tying balloons. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. So up here on this infinity line, at some point in the beginning, God said, let there be, right? So let's say this is our universe, the one I have in my hand here, okay? Now, let's just put this up here for a second. Let's see if this will hold. Okay. So that's the universe that we are familiar with. It's the ones that the Hubble telescope is observing. But using math, using science, there is the belief that while this universe here is adequate to sustain our life because of what it contains, there could be other universes that have come off of the energy of previous universes. So let me, uh, Beth, let me have your, your universe here. Okay, and what the, the video was talking about is inflation that sometimes what will happen is as the universe expands, all the right components begin to fall in place for there to be a bubble universe that is happening at the same time, okay? So we often wonder questions like, is there life on other planets or in other places in the universe, right? Well, all we know at this point is this is what provides the type of environment that sustains life, at least for human beings. But could there be life in a parallel universe that was somehow started out of the energy that began long ago? Okay, Annie, let me have your... Okay, so Annie's got a bigger universe here, okay? And if this process continues to go on, that one universe is going to provide the energy that is necessary for the next universe, what we might find is that over the course of these billions of years, there might be, at some point, a universe that's bigger than ours, looks different than ours, has different energy and mass material than ours, but there might be some that are also 
just right for life to begin as well. Okay. Let me have your universe. Okay. So again, what we are observing is at our point in time, right? But we as human beings, if we factor in a timeline that you find in the scripture, we go, well, modern, relative term, modern civilization has only been around for a few thousand years. It's not something that has gone on forever and ever. So all we can do is observe from our own perspective and point in time. Okay, who else has a universe? Okay, one more here. Okay. What that video was suggesting is that as we continue to observe the universe expanding, the potential for other universes could continue to go on into affinity future. So here we are, living on planet Earth. Parallel universes could exist, and we don't know what other type of universes will develop on into the future. That's why there's a lot of mystery. That's why there is awesome uh, observations that are being made, but we don't know what to do with all of that because there is still a lot of mysteries in this idea of cosmic inflation. Let's watch this video as well. This one isn't as long. And this theory of eternal chaotic inflation changed humanity's conception of, of the extent of reality. Well, this is true, and now it has continued being changed because it became an essential part of string theory. I myself must say that I am extremely excited about it. Eternal chaotic inflation defies imagination. Chaotic, bubble universes branching off each from another. Eternal, more and more new universes never stopping. Multiple universes without number or limit popping into existence. Could reality be so ineffably vast? What about our own universe, now seeming rather puny? Its expansion, too, was hiding a spectacular surprise. You can find these uh, type of videos on YouTube. There's uh, uh, all kinds of... Here's another way of looking at it. By inflation, you begin at a point in time, and as a man of faith, I'm saying at the beginning, in the beginning, God is that point in time, relatively speaking, again, time being something that God doesn't experience like we do. God says, let there be, and it starts a process, and as it continues, here we are to this present day, over the course of billions of years, we see that the universe is continuing to grow and expand. With that in mind, this illustration of the expanding universe is the illustration of how not only did our universe come about, but how it could spawn other universes as well. Now, certainly, when we think in those terms, we, we go, man, we are 
we are just mi microscopic in comparison to all of this, right? And then when you add in other factors that scientists are observing that there is dark matter and dark energy that cannot be observed, but they see the um, effect of it. No wonder, even back in the, um, in the book of Genesis, when it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and darkness covered the earth. That might be as much a theological statement as it is a statement of physical reality. That God is in the process of bringing order out of chaos over a course of time. Does that make sense, everybody? Okay. So, that this is what it might end up looking like. That there are multiple universes. We can't even manage our own planet, let alone worry about all the other multiple universes there are. But God has all of this in his hands because of his power and his greatness. So that brings us to this point. Where does theology play into asking this question, how did it all begin? Well, it has to begin beyond our concept of how God creates. So a lot of times, again, people that are believers, they'll say just God spoke it into existence as if it was Shazam or Bazinga. It all appeared, right? God, it seems, uses a natural process to bring about not only our world, but the universe and the universes. How can he do that? There are three statements about God that are made in the scripture that uh, allow us to kind of perceive this. So, the one is perpetual light. 1 John 1, 5 says God is light. Well, we think of light only in terms of the sun or the light in this room. But, in a Catholic funeral mass, there is a phrase that is used, perpetual light, okay? Perpetual light. In other words, what is the light before God said, let there be light? And that is the presence of God is seen as light that dispels darkness and God as light or eternal light, everlasting light was in existence. And I, I, I know the next question that I don't have an answer to is, well, where did God come from? We don't know. We don't have an answer to that right? But it does say that God is light. He exists in light. And along with that is not just perpetual light, but 1 John 4, 8 says God is love. That whatever God was up to when he said, let there be, had love as the element of it. Okay? God is love. That's who he is. And then in John 4, 24, Jesus says to the woman at the Samaritan, the Samaritan woman at the well, that God is spirit. Remember the discussion in chapter 4, uh, the uh, woman at the well says, um, hey, you say Jerusalem is where you have to worship God, and we have our own place of worship. And Jesus speaks up and he says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And what that is saying is God is not at one physical location. God is present 
and he is of, uh, as much here in Willoughby today as he is in Germany where Dan and Emma are. Okay? So God is spirit, God is love, God is light. And if those three things are true, which I believe they are, then what we have is this idea of God being able to stretch beyond all of these universes that are in existence, that have been in process for billions of years, so that when we see our own existence on this planet, then we have the opportunity to look up in, at night and say, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. Okay, I, I don't understand it. My knowledge on this topic is about this big. Okay, However, I do have enough appreciation for the fact that God is in the process of bringing us to an understanding of how big a God he is that holds all these universes together. Let me bring you back to the last slide here. Yeah, I should have put one more in. This is interesting. The last one is energy. In Colossians 1.15, it says the Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The questions about whether universes will implode in on itself, I think is answered by people of faith saying, no, God is in the process of holding all these things together and giving to us the ability to be assured that he will not leave us nor forsake us, but he brought us into this world because it was an act of love. And in his love, he allows us to continue to enjoy this world we live in. Now, this prompts another question. How are we to take care of the creation that he has placed us in? That's for a whole different day. But he puts the onus on us to join him in partnership to take care of this place that we call home. Would you go get uh, Corey, please? And we're going to close with a song. But as uh, Pete gets uh, Corey to come back, here's what I want to say in closing. When complex topics are reduced to either or, or binary, rarely will you get a deeper insight into something. When you run from questions, or just flirt with questions, you want easy answers. And, you might, and we all have to accept the fact that this is a complex world, and in this complex world, there are no easy answers and there are no binary answers. Usually it is something much like this that contains all kinds of elements there that we need to continue uh, to grapple with. So 400 years of modern science have brought us to where we now stand. But where we go from here depends on what we do with the knowledge in our understanding of the universe or universes around us. Focusing on the edge of knowledge helps us to explore these new frontiers. We do not have uh, faith behind us. Faith is still in front of us. And we'll need to hold on to that faith as we move on into the future with the absolute assurance that the one who holds it all together 
is the eternal light, love, and energy that we call God. Come up and would you stand, please? We'll close with the song, please.